the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Get it up underway for a Thursday. I'm back with you, Dave Ellswick. My thanks to David Ray uh, for filling in yesterday. Uh, I did not hear the show, but I've gotten uh, texts and emails from people saying that he was he was very good and everybody enjoyed his time on the air. Uh, people were asking where Robert was, and I said, "Well, you know, Robert doesn't fill in every time that I'm not uh, on on the air." most of the time but not all the time and so yesterday i wanted to have david ray on he is a very knowledgeable guy uh, of course um, has been in politics here in uh, in arkansas for a decade uh, head of uh you know uh, what was it uh oh what, what was the nonprofit group he used to work for seth uh uh, what was it? Uh, Americans for Prosperity. He was AFP. Yep. Yeah. He was state director, and uh, he has uh, been now with Tim Griffin for I guess what three, maybe f- four years has it been? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So he's, he's been working in the Capitol and uh, is running for a state representative. I think that he is unopposed now. He won his primary, and I think that just about. Uh, uh, solidified that he'll be in the state uh, legislature later on uh, this year. But I hear that he did a good job, and Joe and Duck did a good job uh, for 6 o'clock last night. Uh, today, I'm going to be talking with J.R. Davis from the Gilmore Group and, of course, from Seth Mays, Arkansas GOP, uh, both of them with me for the first hour. Second hour, just be me and you. And then in uh, the 6 o'clock hour tonight, uh We'll have uh, Senator Tom Cotton on with us. And then at 8.35, I have a gentleman on from over at Harding University talking about another one of their graduate programs, a very unique one, uh, dealing uh, in the field of uh, psychology, which I I think is pretty interesting, the information that I've been sent uh, dealing uh, with that. So we'll be talking about that from 8.35 and until, or not 8.35, 6.35 tonight until uh, 7 o'clock. Don't forget, tonight at 8 o'clock, it will be the final presidential debate. We'll have it live for you right here on 101.1 FM, The uh, Answer. And uh, we'll be uh, carrying that for you uh, from the beginning till its entirety. And that's what we'll start off with talking about this morning as far as topics with JR and with uh, with Seth and let me start with you Seth uh, what's to take excuse me 
what's the take out there uh, right now uh, amongst uh, Republicans about uh, the debate tonight? What's everybody expecting? Yeah, good morning, Dave. Uh, like you said, you know, tonight's debate is, is sort of high stakes. It's hard to know, do you call this the second debate or the third debate, since the technical second was scrubbed. But tonight's debate uh, in Nashville, moderated by uh, Kristen Welker of NBC, is the last really high-profile moment we'll have uh, with both nominees, especially on the same stage. I'm sure the president, no doubt, his campaign has said he wants to do it, you know, five events a day leading up to Election Day. I don't know that we'll see that from Joe Biden. In fact, I think we all know the answer. He will not be doing five events a day. Well, we'll he hasn't be lucky done anything since Tuesday, has he? Right. And I know I know you love it when Joe Biden will call a lid saying that you'll hear oh, nothing yes. from his campaign at 10 o'clock or, or 9 o'clock. Well, he called a lid earlier in the week for the rest of the week. So that boy, when I heard that, I thought Dave will love that. So tonight's debate really is the last moment you'll see the nominees together. It will probably be the last time you see Joe Biden doing anything other than, you know, a short clip or maybe maybe a short interview. Uh, they already pre-recorded interviews with 60 Minutes to air this Sunday. So it really is the last moment for those very few, and I must stress, very few undecideds left uh, uh, to really, really have a chance to see the two against each other. And so, of course, all eyes uh, are, are going to be on tonight. And the question is, will it be like their first debate? And will there be interruptions? We know the commission has instituted their own rule that each candidate will have two minutes uninterrupted. They'll uh, use a mute button for whoever is not receiving the question. But that they did leave some some bit of gray area that after those two minute answers, you get into these one minute back and forth. Uh, sections on each topic, and, and they did not expressly say that the mute button would be used there. And it's still yet to be seen if you talk up on stage, do you get picked up by your opponent's microphone? I'm, I'm sure they're working to test all of those things. We just don't know exactly how they're going to work out. Uh, but tonight is, for those very few undecided voters, particularly in the Midwest, a very big night for them. This is this is where most will point to say, this is where I made my decision in the last uh, few days here. How many people, Jr. I mean, you've worked in politics for a long time, as has Seth, but you've worked on the ground for candidates and things of that nature. When you get to this point where we're just like 12 days out from a, an election, how many undecided voters do you believe there really are, especially in this election? Well, that's always a good question. I mean, I've always said that when you're, you know, when you're running a race, you're playing between the 40s, right? Uh, if you're looking at a football field, that's the undecided, the independents. Um, and so I, I think it's a very small number, especially this election cycle. And, you know, where Seth's talking about this last real high-profile moment with uh, President Trump and, and former Vice President Biden, uh, this is a big moment tonight, not just in the presidential debate, uh, presidential race, but in the down ballot races and for Senate races across the country okay. for hard fought uh, congressional seats like the one we're seeing right here in the second congressional uh, district. Uh, we need the president to have a um, a good showing tonight, uh, something that uh, will help um, 
excite the base a little bit. Um, I think obviously we saw what took place in the first debate. We haven't had another one. We saw a little bit of a uh, sort of a sense of uh, urgency and pride in the vice presidential debate um, and, and how Mike Pence um, performed in that. And so that's what I think we need to see out of President Trump tonight, because I think it will have an effect on some of these other races. Will it have an effect on the presidential race? <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Probably not. But it will have an effect, uh, I believe, on some of these closer races throughout the country. Okay, so what do you hope those folks are hoping that the president will do? What do you think that they're they're I, expecting the president? Let me let me uh, let Jr. talk first, and then I'll come to you, Seth. Go ahead, Jr. Yeah, I mean, I, I think look, you go back to that first debate. Uh, I thought the president had some um, thoughtful answers on things, but it just kind of turned into a circus. I think tonight uh, he needs to be able to answer some of these questions. Uh, in sort of a you know uh, even kill manner, uh, uh, make sure he's articulating the Republican and conservative position, and then let Joe Biden go out there and do Joe Biden things, uh, tripping up in you know on numbers and uh, not being able to put together a full sentence. I mean, just just kind of let him play to his weaknesses uh, in Joe Biden tonight. Just just sort of as much as possible. And I know it's not necessarily his brand, but kind of have that statesman like approach. Because I think that's what people want to see. If you're arguing policies, I really, truly believe Republicans win. Oh, Tonight, yeah. they need to see sort of a president and that presidential. And I, and I think that's what those sort of those, those that small group, as Seth mentioned, of undecideds. I think that's what they want to see. And quite frankly, it just helps other Republicans throughout the country for it not to be a uh, screaming match like it was the last time around. All right, so you got this small group of independents out there, Seth. What do they want to see? Because in this debate, that's kind of the people you're reaching out to. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the president has reached out to his base. It's fired up and, and already showing up at the polls. And we're seeing these huge, huge rallies. I think the one that he had the other night had almost 14,000 people at it. I mean, that's huge. Joe Biden, yep. he's lucky if he gets 100. Uh, let's talk about that. I mean, what is it that, uh, you know, Trump has to talk about tonight? Well, you say Joe Biden is lucky to get 100. We're lucky to have an event from Joe Biden at all at this point. So yes, I, I think at this point when you have so few independents, you have to think about it in terms like this. You're not going to convert if you're the Donald Trump campaign a Hillary Clinton voter, a 2016 Democrat, to vote for you at this stage in the game, right? They're they're pretty well settled where they're at because you would have to convert them from a Democrat voter to be a little in the middle and independent-minded to then say, well, I think now I want to vote for President Trump. You need to shoot directly for those folks in the middle that you can convert to you because then you're only asking them to go a little to the right as opposed to from the left to the right. And so it's a far easier conversion. And I think a lot of those folks may be thinking, you know, I I think perhaps Donald Trump, President Trump has done some things on COVID that were correct, such as shutting down China. But I think maybe the messaging has been off and I'm just not sure. Right. In my head, that's what I think the head of the independent voter is saying. They just have to be unsure. They have to give the president some credit, but then they have to have some reservations. And so if you're the president, you need to reach people that think like that. 
We heard Governor Huckabee yesterday on Fox and Friends make a very interesting point, and I, I think I happen to agree with it, which is that if the president shows up and just say, for instance, uh, concedes ground on the coronavirus topic and, and spends more time talking about the Hunter Biden situation, for instance, you're not going to be meeting people where they are, right? The person sitting at their kitchen table in Ohio that is sort of undecided and just not sure what they're going to do, they probably haven't read as much on the Hunter Biden story. Uh-huh. And that doesn't mean that it isn't an important story and not worth it. Don't hear me say that. I, I don't agree with that. But it's you got to meet people where they are. And if you are undecided at this point, you, you need to be met where the issues are, and the issues are still coronavirus. And so I agree with Governor Huckabee. We cannot come out of tonight's debate with people looking at it and saying, you know what, Joe Biden and Donald Trump, they did. They each scored points on coronavirus. We need a slam dunk on that issue and that issue alone, no matter what other topics are discussed tonight. I, I would agree with you wholeheartedly with that. We'll talk about that. I got a couple of other things that I want to throw into our discussion, which will make the discussion get really interesting here. Jason Whitlock, you all know him, uh, the sports uh, talk show host, made some statements yesterday that I found to be very interesting on Tucker Carlson's show, of all places. We'll hear about that. And... How many, uh, just think about this, how many Democrats do you think showed up at last night's debate for Trump? There were almost 14,000 people there. What percentage were Democrats? We'll talk about that as well. 19 after 6 on a Thursday morning. Dave Ellswick back in the saddle with you. Seth Mays from the Arkansas GOP. J.R. Davis from the Gilmore Group join me. And we'll talk more when we return. Now, I know a lot of you are saying 7 o'clock. Well, yeah, you've got to have the talking heads. they got to get in there and, and talk about Hugh Hewitt. And and I think Gallagher is going to be there and maybe Gorka and a few other folks will be joining in to talk about what they expect will transpire starting at 8 o'clock when the two candidates will take the stage in Nashville, Tennessee. That's where they're going to be, five hours away from here. Uh, if you want the ticket, forget it. You can't get in. Not going to happen. All right. A couple of questions for our guests today. And uh, if you just joined us, as normal, on a Thursday, I've got J.R. Davis here from the Gilmore Group. And I also have Seth Mays with us today uh, from the Arkansas GOP. Guys, a couple of interesting uh, things came out yesterday. First, broadcaster Jason Whitlock said uh, yesterday that there was, quote, clear momentum, unquote, for President Donald Trump among black men. Quote, I think there's some clear momentum for President Trump, particularly, I think, with black men. The uh, Outkick.com host told uh, Tucker Carlson uh, last night, I think we have been carrying on a facade for three and a half years as black men that somehow we can't relate to Donald Trump, that we didn't celebrate him in hip-hop music for decades, that he wasn't friends with countless black athletes, entertainers, and celebrities. Interesting statement by Jason Whitlock. Now, our very own Pastor Iverson uh, Jackson has been saying all along, that there's going to be a large turnout for the president amongst black voters. 
What say you? Let's start with uh, with you, uh, Seth. Do you believe there's going to be a, ter- a big turnout for the president amongst black males? In particular, that demographic you just mentioned right there, I think the president will set a record for black men in the country for a Republican candidate. Uh, you mentioned uh, that sportscaster there, but it was also Charlemagne on, I believe, Don Lemon on CNN, of all places, who said, listen, you know, Donald Trump is going to do better with black men than he did in 2016. Part of that is just the record that he has had is is undeniable when we look at the rate of black unemployment. All of this, of course, pre-pandemic. But the question is getting out of this. Uh, whose economy do you want to go to? Do you want to go to the Obama-Biden economy or do you want the Trump economy? And and by comparison, there really isn't a comparison. So uh, I I think that is is quite obvious. Of course, black women make up the largest voting demographic for the Democratic Party. I don't know that we'll see as much inroads um, in in that respect. We just don't see the president uh, doing as well with women as uh, Joe Biden does. But the Democratic Party usually does better Uh, with women than men. So I think particularly with black men, the president has a record with the First Step Act, uh, with his handling of the economy, and he's given great detail uh, to issues of the black community, historic funding for historically black colleges and universities, HBCUs. So the president uh, just really has uh, quite the record to run on here. And, and by comparison, Joe Biden has has about the worst record if you were to design a candidate in a test tube. I mean, the guy that's uh, all, uh, you know, rounding up to 80 years uh, with with nearly 50 years of service in the Senate, uh, being not just a supporter, not just a vote in support of the crime bill, but being the author of the 94 crime bill. Yeah, um, it, it's harder to find somebody uh, that should be more unappealing to the black community than Joe Biden. Of course, he, he does have a lot of, of favor being a very faithful uh, vice president to the first black president in the country's history. And I don't know that Joe Biden ever said a mixed word about uh, Barack Obama. He, he was always supportive in the administration and could be the attack dog when called upon. So that definitely carries him some favor. But anything before his time as vice president should and, and I think largely does repel black voters, particularly black men. All right. What about you out there, uh, Jr.? Uh, from your uh, years of experience, what are you seeing? My years of experience means absolutely nothing uh, in this election. I have no idea what is going to happen. You <laughs> see something different every single day. Uh, you pick up a paper, uh, social media, the television. I mean, look. This you could tell me that Donald Trump wins this thing in a you know landslide. It would surprise me, but not by that much. You could also tell me it could go the other way. Um, I just think that this is such a unique environment that we are in. I mean, we we had a president that was in charge of the greatest economy we have seen uh, in a long, long time, and and uh, things were you know trucking along great for the for the uh, United States of America. Then the coronavirus hit. And that's all we've talked about for eight months. Um, and there's been a struggle between Democrats, uh, Democratic leadership and Republican leadership about keeping things open and shutting things down. And so it's just, it's very strange in that we have, and then you have the whole social justice uh, uh, you know, um, issues through May and early June and then throughout really much of the summer months. And so, I mean, there, it's just a very unique environment right now. So much has changed in a little bit of time that we're in just a completely different uh, situation than we were a year ago at this time. 
Um, and so it's just going to be interesting to see how uh, how voters really sort of decipher all of the information they're receiving, and then how they're you know kind of taking a step back and looking at their uh, you know looking at their lives. Am I better off now? Am I, have I was I better off? Have I been better off in a Donald Trump administration? Uh, or not. And to Seth's point, you know, Joe Biden does not have the record. If this was any other year and Trump, you know, had uh, a different style as president and the coronavirus hadn't hit, I mean, Republicans would win this election in a landslide, e- easy. Uh, and especially with someone on the other side, like a Joe Biden, who just does not have the record that you would hope, if you're a Democrat, uh, that he would have uh, going into an election like all right, we're back with you on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, JR, uh, you got uh, knocked off the air there by the news, so why don't you pick up what you were saying? Like every other person in this election, I just won't shut up. Uh, <laughs> so. No, and I, I honestly basically was just saying that there's just a, there's a, a great deal of change, uh, something really, I would believe, to be unprecedented as far as what kind of change we've seen in a year. Uh, in this country. And so, you know, I'm going to be interested to see how voters really step back, kind of assess how they feel they've done over the last four years as far as personally and economically, and then uh, how they cast uh, their vote. It'll just be very interesting. I just don't think anyone who believes truly the outcome of this election and can tell you that they are sure of it, uh, I think would be lying to you. I think there's just a lot of unknowns and people are still skeptical about the polling and uh, and everything like that. So it's it's just very uh, – and then, of course, the stories out of the Trump campaign where you're hearing that more Republicans are being registered in places like Ohio and Pennsylvania is an astonishing fact uh, uh, that that's happening. So it, there's just – there's a lot of unknowns, and, and so I wouldn't be su- too surprised uh, what happens to uh, uh, on November 3rd. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh, another story that came out dealing with the uh, – uh, president's rallies is the one uh, dealing with the people who are art- attending the rallies. You know, a lot of people think that when Trump has one of these big MAGA rallies that it's only for the uh, hardcore Trump fans. That couldn't be further from the truth. I found that out when uh, back, uh, was it uh, late last year, early this year, I was in Dallas uh, for his rally there when he had uh, nearly 20, 21,000 people there. And I walked around and talked to the people. And I'm going to tell you about every other person I talked to was a Democrat and a disaffected Democrat who felt the party had left them. And then the story came out yesterday. I think it was on uh, the Daily Wire uh, talking about uh, at the latest uh, rally that he had last night, nearly 14,000 people with him. And I, pardon me, I forget whether it was North Carolina or South Carolina. But he had this huge rally, and uh, they said that over 50% of the people uh, there were uh, Democrats, and over 50% of those Democrats that they knew were there did not vote in the last election. That says some very, very strong, uh, sends some strong signals. Would would you agree with that, Seth? I would, and you speak from personal experience, having attended that Dallas rally, and I was there also. Uh, but we've seen this, especially at my time at the RNC, 
uh, now ever since the president was elected, and we certainly saw it at his rallies in 2016. Brad Parscale, the former campaign manager and, and data guru, he's no longer with the campaign, but it, it was always part of our favorite uh, little nuggets after each of the rallies the next morning to get the data from everybody that had signed up to attend and were there in person and th- their breakdown of how they self-identified. And, and you did find really huge numbers, 30, 40, and, and sometimes you even broke the 50 percent barrier of attendees self-identifying as as Democrats. And so I think that's very important. And, and you've mentioned, you know, it's approaching Reagan-esque. And that's going to be the difference maker in a lot of those states like Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, should the president win. I, I think some of the states are harder to win. Obviously, Joe Biden has some ties to Pennsylvania, but now the president has a record to run on as well, a record that he can compare to Joe Biden's. Wisconsin is going to be a harder state. The Supreme Court there did not certify the Green Party. Uh, to be on the ballot. So if you're uh, even left of left and you're going to vote for the Green Party, you now don't have that option. So the next best thing is probably the Democratic Party. So uh, I would expect the Democrats to do better in Wisconsin. But then again, when you see the stats like you're talking about, disaffected Democrats, uh, that's going to be th- that's that hidden Trump vote. Everybody talks about the vote that doesn't register in polls. They say when you look at a poll, you ought to always add two or three points to Trump wherever he's at. Uh, because that would have made all the polls in 2016 be more in line with with where the results ended up. It wasn't that Hillary really underperformed. She did about where she polled, but Trump did way better. He, he Independence broke with him, um, and he's going to have another moment tonight to even make that case further, to hope that Independence break for him this cycle uh, once again. And a lot of those are going to be those disaffected Democrats. All right. What about you, Jr.? What's your thoughts on this? You know, I think that uh, we are in a very similar situation as we were four years ago. Uh, from from some of the polling that we're seeing, uh, maybe a little bit different in you know the specific state uh, polling uh, where where Biden has a lead. But look, the Democrats have fallen into the exact same trap again. Uh, in 2016, they had uh, a candidate that they felt good about but she wasn't necessarily likable this time they have a candidate that's likable but they don't feel necessarily good about um and it's that mix again and and so to seth's point um you know we'll see if if this translates into votes for uh donald trump because there there's a base of support uh that's unwavering for the president and for democrats it's it's basically sort of just anybody but trump that sort of mentality but there's not necessarily a great deal of excitement around their particular candidate um and and so you know what what will we will we see something similar to 2016 maybe we will and uh and so i think you know obviously time will tell um but i really think the biggest thing about um this election not just the presidential side which is important um, but that's why we need a big, uh, a big uh, um, performance tonight from the president to help some of our other key races uh, throughout the country tonight. That will be key. All right. So Charlemagne, again, the uh, talk show host, black talk show host, was on CNN on Tuesday night, and he was asked about prominent black men who have either endorsed Trump or expressed willingness to work with him probably talking about 50 cent uh, because 50 cent been all over social media just blasting biden 
and talking about how he will vote for Trump. And then you got Ice Cube, who has uh, got a partnership going with the Trump campaign right now on the platinum plan to benefit black Americans. And here's what Charlemagne told anchor Don Lemon. And I hope Don Lemon is listening because it's a wake up call for him. I don't like that narrative, he said. You know, because if Trump wins, what they're about to turn this into is a black men are the reason why Trump is in office. When it comes to those black people you see who maybe are showing support for Trump, I just think because Trump is actually talking to young black male voters. He's directing ads towards them. They are a group that, you know, never gets courted. I mean, black people don't get courted either as a whole, but that old democratic regime speaks to old black men, and they think that everyone else in the black community, the black family, is supposed to fall in line. They think the rest of us all speak the same language. And that that goes back to what uh, Biden said to Charlemagne on his show when he said, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. I mean, that goes right right back uh, to that narrative. And I believe there's a lot of people within the black community that are paying attention to this. And uh, I think they remember before the pandemic came that things were really turning up for them and that once the pandemic is over, uh, it will again turn up uh, for them as well as far as uh, employment, uh, wages. I mean, there was a, a, a study that came out yesterday from one of the nonpartisan uh, political uh, groups there on Capitol Hill that said that uh, under Ob- Obama, Biden and Bush, uh, minorities made about 3,000 more a year under Trump, 6,000 more a year. Well, I'm going to tell you, tell you what. You can feel $6,000 a year more in your paycheck. Uh, and uh, if I were Trump tonight, if uh, Joe Biden starts saying, I'm going to listen to the scientists, I, if I were the president, I said, who do you think I listen to when we shut down the su- shut down the economy in America? I listened to the scientists. I listened to the best. I did what they told me. And... Uh, it may not have been the, the, the right thing to do, but we did it. And uh, here's where we're at. Our economy's in shambles because they wanted it shut down. Uh, is that the kind of answer that, that people uh, can, uh, can get their, head, their, head, their hands around, guys? Yeah, I, I'd certainly think so. And I would expect race to be certainly a, a very central topic tonight. The moderator, Kristen Welker from NBC, is a woman of color, and race was but one block in the first debate, and of course the second debate didn't happen. And it's been such a key issue right there with coronavirus uh, this year as well. And so undoubtedly that's going to come up as well as the pandemic. Jr., do you yeah. think – let me just uh, – let me preface your answer here, Jr. And, and if you could work this in. Can Trump say and, and make a, a strong statement saying, look, I've been trying uh, to help the black community, but uh, I'm, I'm one of the first presidents that's really worked hard on this whole thing about 
about uh, reaching out into the minority communities and, and really helping them. Can he use that as a narrative uh, to score points tonight? Yeah, I think he has to. I do. I believe he absolutely can. I think he has to look into the camera and pass the moderator and, you know, disregard uh, his opponent up there on stage and talk directly uh, to uh, that particular group and tell them, look, I, I have been your president. I have done, you know, and then go down the list of, of all of the things that uh, he's helped with the African-American community. Um, and I think absolutely. Uh, now, look, you know, he never does and he never will, but he's not going to get the love on the uh, post-debate commentary. They'll call him a hypocrite and everything oh, else sure. and yada, yada, yada. But that's why I really believe he has to take a moment and just look past, you know, past the audience, you know, use that camera as a way to just, you know, talk directly to the voters and say, look, this is what I've done as your president and what I will continue to do as your president. Um, I think that could be a powerful moment for Donald Trump. It's not something we've seen from him a lot um, as far as that sort of candor. Um, And I think that he has a real opportunity tonight to just kind of steady the ship a little bit, just keep things stable. we got 12 days left. A lot of races are hinging upon uh, how the president does. I think it's going to be a close race. Uh, And tonight is certainly, a, to me, a bigger opportunity for him than Joe Biden. And then I'll just end with this. Don Lemon is an idiot. And how in the world he still has a show is beyond me. So at some point when we can figure out how we can elect our news anchors, I hope that's something that we do. This guy, that guy is an absolute just joke of a uh, network anchor. Well, you got him and you got Como. I mean, come on. Yeah, but he makes Cuomo he makes Cuomo look like like normal, which is unbelievably difficult to do. I mean, I remember when he emerged from his basement after quarantine when he had the COVID. It was like this, you know. It was uh, essentially like you know the the Passion of the Christ with uh, you know Cuomo uh, coming out of his basement hugging his family, like weird weird lineup back to back there on CNN. But Don Lemon, I mean, just I, I truly just don't understand it. Well, I I don't understand I don't understand CNN uh, in any way, shape, or form. Look, the FBI had a news conference yesterday, and CNN didn't even show up. How's that mm-hmm. one for you? Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, I get when you have look even MSNBC. I mean, you got uh, you know uh, uh, the lineups including Maddow, et cetera, et cetera. But like it's it's um, it's more understandable than what CNN has in Don Lemon and, and Cuomo. Like it, it's just I do not understand it. And I think the last thing I I think Don Lemon may be the only network news anchor who has been hammered on television uh, for New Year's Eve, and they continue to go back to him. And like one day he's like standing on a stool, then he's on a bar, and they just keep going back to the guy, and that's it. And and he starts crying on camera. And yet he still has a show on CNN. This is, I, I don't know, I, uh, uh, I guess you can tenure uh, in network news, I, I, I guess. So, All right, we'll be back, finish it up. we got one more break here. Let's do that on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, we got our final segment going uh, right now. Again, our guest, J.R. Davis from the Gilmore Group, Seth Mays from the Arkansas GOP. With that uh, being made and knowing who was speaking, let me start off with uh, Seth, because here's my final question for you guys. It's been a record-breaking turnout 
in the first few days of uh, early voting thus far here in the United States. Now, we just started early voting Monday here in Arkansas, but some states started two weeks ago. Uh, With that in mind, who does this play to the strength of? Does it play to Joe Biden, the challenger, or to the incumbent, President Donald Trump? All right, let's turn it over to to Seth. Let's see what he's got to say here on the Dave Ellswick Show. I love this question about the turnout for early voting. I worked for Governor Asa Hutchinson's reelection campaign, and I remember in 2018, everybody was pronouncing how high early turnout was here in the state, and Democrats were just excited, which I never quite understood. Asa Hutchinson was always going to beat Jared Henderson like he owed him money. And in a Republican state, higher turnout would seem to benefit the Republican. And it did. But we had such high turnout in early voting and ultimately had an election day that was a little down. And so when everything was said and done, turnout was slightly up, but it was not as up as early voting would lead you to believe. And so I would caution everybody, when you see these high turnout numbers for early vote, you can't pronounce that turnout is up because we don't know the end of this story. If Election Day is down, then when you balance everything, it it could turn out to be the same number of votes. So we ultimately don't know. We do know that more that every year, every election cycle, more and more people choose to early vote for convenience. And especially this year when we've been so hammered with with stories about will my ballot, if I'm mailing it in, will it make it in or not? People want to go and vote early. They want to mail in their vote as soon as they get their ballot in the mail. And so we've seen lots of absentees returned and and lots of people early vote. And we appear, and that is the key word in this question, appear to have increased turnout. And I think to the central part of your question, it depends on the state as to who it's beneficial to. Obviously, increased turnout in California is probably with Democrats. In a state like Arkansas, I think it's to our benefit. In a state like Michigan or Pennsylvania, I think you have to go to who is registering voters. And we have seen the side-by-side comparisons, Republicans to Democrats, Republicans with a pretty clear and decisive registration lead in new voters between last election and this election. But we can't say overall the election will have increased turnout until we can look at the whole numbers. Okay. J.R.? Yeah, I think all that is uh, absolutely correct um, and a good assessment there by Seth. I, you know, I, for Arkansas, and I've said this, it hadn't been just in Pulaski County. We've seen increase in early vote or at least maybe more early voting on the front end uh, these first few days uh, all across the state. And, and I truly believe it's more indicative of the times we're in with uh, COVID-19 and people just taking extra precautions than it is. I mean, there's a mix there of some, you know, uh, base excitement and voters going out and, and excited about casting, you know, a vote for uh, their candidate. But I think a lot of it really does have to do with people taking precautions, wanting to get to the polls uh, before they can't or, in, you know, in case there's another spike or things are shut down. So I think there's a big mixture there. Uh, but I agree with Seth. If we're having a a major turnout across the state, uh, I think it's good news for Republicans Pulaski County, uh, it does worry me just a little bit. But again, uh, you know, I'll be interested to see what happens over the next few days of early vote and and if it was more sort of front loaded uh, versus, uh, you know, something we see consistently throughout the next two weeks. 
Hey, question for you, uh, uh, Jr. Uh, how concerned are you about the stories a couple of months back about uh, elections and and absentee ballots in Pulaski County not being uh, rightfully, you know, looked at. The, yeah, the verification. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah. Uh, is that something that still worries you? Uh, I think when there is so much more, when there's such an uptick uh, in that process and in the election, you know, uh, it worries me just because there are are logistical issues. Um, And I think, you know, look, every vote should count, but every vote should be verified, uh, you know, and and made sure that it is a legitimate vote. So, yes, that does concern me. um, And that's something we're obviously going to continue to monitor. But, uh, look, anytime you have that drastic of an uptick, uh, you know, it, it's concerning just because from a logistical uh, standpoint. All right. That's it for today, guys. Thanks for being part of the Dave Ellswick Show. J.R. David, Gilmore Group, Seth Mays from the Arkansas GOP. Some insightful comments from you guys. You guys have been thinking. You've been thinking about, I bet you Dave asked this. It's kind of like doing a debate, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, we appreciate you being with Thanks, us Dave. today. Thanks, Dave. We'll talk to you later. All right. Let you guys get on with your day. I'll be back after the news. That's next. With you, Dave Ellswick show as we move into the uh, 7 o'clock hour. Hey, tonight at 6, make sure you tune back in. Uh, Senator Tom Cotton's going to be joining me in the first half hour, and then uh, a really interesting uh, interview as well with some folks uh, from the uh, uh, Harding uh, University. We're going to talk to them uh, as well. So it's going to be uh, kind of an interesting uh, evening tonight at 6 o'clock, to, to say uh, the least. Uh, some interesting things happening uh, dealing with uh, other issues that are going on around the election. And, uh, and let's, let's talk a, a little bit about those. For instance, the committee vote on uh, Barrett is going to move ahead despite what the Democrats are uh, thinking that they're going to do. Uh, That should happen today, the vote out of committee. Uh, The Senate Judiciary Committee vote to report Supreme Court nominee Amy Coney Barrett out of committee is moving forward, Republicans say, despite a decision from Democrats that they're going to boycott the uh, today's uh, markup. and uh, they're not going to show up. Uh, they're they're going to not uh, be there in protest of how close Republicans are moving the nomination to Election Day. It's interesting that 
the Democrats are pushing this way when the the only polling that I've seen from Gallup and uh, some others, ABC uh, as well, show that the majority of Americans, 57 percent, believe that uh, this this uh, opening should be filled. You know, the narrative going in was that Americans thought it shouldn't be filled. And now that has flipped on its head. And I think that the reason that has is because um, uh, folks from the right, you know, talk show hosts like myself and others, as well as uh, folks that are writing columns, uh, people who are appearing on uh, as talking heads, have been able to show people that this is not something that is abnormal, that it's very normal the way that it's proceeding, and people don't think that somebody's trying to pull a a fast one on trying to, um, you know, negate the Constitution of the United States, which is not what's happening. It's been proven it's not what's happening. I think that uh, Harris wished that she'd not brought up, quote, honest Abe a couple of weeks ago. And, man, doesn't it seem like it was a couple of months ago that the, la- the last time that these two candidates got together uh, were in the same place? I mean, it's like three weeks ago, and it seems like forever. Uh, I wonder how many people even remember what was said in that first debate. So um, maybe more people will show up tonight to watch the debate because they think it's like the first one since we didn't have a second one. Uh, The move follows a declaration from Senate Minority Leader Schumer earlier this month that Democrats would not supply the quorum for votes like the one scheduled today to advance Barrett out of committee. So it is not a total surprise, but other Democrats on the Judiciary Committee did not confirm the move until late Wednesday. They said that they're making the move in response to, quote, the breakneck speed. And let's go back again to Lincoln, all right, and Chase, uh, Salmon Chase, uh, the the story that uh, the uh, uh, senator from California and, or, uh, the, uh, uh, pardon me, the former AG from California and uh, and now Senator, uh, who is trying to make you believe that uh, Honest Abe waited uh, to put nominate uh, Chase uh, because he wanted you to have a, a say or the people back in that day to have a say in the election when, in fact, the Senate went into recess uh, in on July 4th and didn't come back until December 5th. They couldn't even take up a nominee, so it didn't matter. Plus, Lincoln was courting Chase for him to back his reelection, and that's what Chase did after the president said, I'll uh, nominate you to the Supreme Court. And then when they came back December 5th, Now, let's talk about the breakneck speed here. We've had a week of of hearings. Uh, We've had another week of people so they can basically sit and think about what they heard in the hearings. We've had time for uh, Barrett to to go and meet with senators and, and whatnot. And then we may have a vote on Monday 
to confirm her to the Supreme Court. Take uh, what happened with, with Lincoln. He brought Chase to the Senate on December 5th when they came back from uh, their vacation, and they confirmed him the same day. That's right, the same day. So let's talk uh, warp speed here. Uh, they're saying they're trying to jam through this nominee and that Republicans broke long, steady committee rules to set tomorrow's uh, uh, vote or today's vote. Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Lindsey Graham said that Barrett would receive a vote despite rules of the committee requiring that at least two members of the minority party be present for the committee to transact business. Uh, said that Graham, quote, Judge Barrett deserves a vote. She'll receive a vote. Judge Barrett deserves to be reported out of committee, and she will be reported out of committee. Judge Barrett deserves to be on the Supreme Court, and she will be confirmed. Graham added, as to my Democratic colleagues' refusal to attend the markup, that is a choice they're making. I believe it does a disservice to Judge Barrett, who deserves this vote up or down. Democrats, rather than attending the markup, will hold a press conference, of course. They don't want to miss out of time to get in front of cameras. Uh, they're going to a press conference at 10.15 outside of the Capitol. The vote on Barrett's nomination, which was originally scheduled for one, is now likely to happen soon after the meeting convenes at 9 a.m. The committee will also vote on a handful of other judicial nominations and subpoenas for tech executives. It will put off consideration of a bill on online content policies. When asked uh, yesterday whether two members of the minority party had to be present at the markup for a vote to happen on Barrett, Graham replied that they do not. Quote, we, do, we, uh, we will not grant this process any further legitimacy by participating in a committee markup of this nomination just 12 days before the culmination of an election that is already underway. Schumer and the Judiciary Committee Democrats said in a statement announcing the boycott. And Republicans broke the promises they made, rules they created when they blocked Merrick Garland's nomination for eight months under President Obama. Then Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said that the American people should have a voice in the selection of their next Supreme Court justice, blah, 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 blah. Uh, so just know that it's going to happen today and that the, the, the full vote, uh, according, it looks like to me, to uh, the majority leader, McConnell will happen on Monday. So that uh, will be a, a big story that we'll keep our, our eye on uh, as well. Quarter after seven here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We've got to get a break in. Uh, let me get to that. And then when we come back, there's new information out uh, dealing with the Hunter Biden, Joe Biden story. Uh, it keeps getting more and more interesting, to say the least. So, uh, and, But do I think that that's the thing that uh, the president should really be hitting on tonight at the debate? Absolutely not. I don't think... I don't think the average American, uh, with uh, all of the problems that we've had with different elected officials in our country, I don't believe uh, the the average American really gives a tinker's damn about that. So uh, I do think they they uh, 
whether I think it's smart or not, uh, are concerned about COVID-19 being a deadly disease, even though death rates have fallen for the last 11 weeks and they're falling off the edge of the cliff now uh, here in in this country. Anyway, we can talk about that in just a a few moments. I want to talk to you about PI Roofing. They are the roofing company I use, and I love talking about them to you because you know, your roof is your final defense against the elements, uh, destroying all the important things that you own and that you've, you know, collected over your years of uh, walking on terra firma, whether you're a, a person who is a single, whether you're a person who is uh, divorced, uh, or uh, you're a person that's married, or just living with somebody. You got a lot of stuff that uh, that you hold as being important in your life and you don't want anything to happen to it and that means you want to keep your roof in really good repair. And that's where PI Roofing comes in. They're professionals. They know what they're doing. Look, uh, Joel started, Joel Johnson, who started this company with his wife Veronica, uh, has been a roofer for well over two decades He knows what he's doing. Uh, He knows from experience. He knows from uh, reading. He knows from going to classes. He knows that his people know because he's personally taught them. He has a large area where he's located. Uh, If you come in looking for a job, he's going to put you on a fake rooftop in the back in an area in his shop. And he's going to ask you to put shingles on, flashing on, and all kinds of different things to see that you really know what you're supposed to know to be a roofer with PI Roofing. It's that kind of professionalism that you want when somebody fixes your roof. They also deal with your insurance company, so you don't have to do it. They also, right now during COVID-19, do the social distancing and the mask thing. You don't have to worry about that. All you have to do is call them. Call 707-3551. And again, you hear me talking about them all the time. He's, yeah, Dave, that's because you know them. You get such great service. No, I get great service because PI Roofing does great service. 707-3551, the number I call and that you call to get PI Roofing come out to your house or do it online at piroofing.com. Hey, at the end of last hour, uh, Heidi got a call from a listener uh, reminding her to tell me about a guy out in California that was verifying that uh, the information about Hunter Biden was true. Uh, But, uh, you know, I talked about that Monday on the show. She may have just missed that segment Uh, and uh, that they had some uh, you know, verified information from people. However, uh, when you get verified information, you want the best verified information you can get. Big story that uh, Fox broke yesterday and that I can talk about now that I'm back on today is that the FBI subpoena Uh, that is out there, of a laptop and hard drive, we had heard about this, purportedly belonging to Hunter Biden came in connection 
with a money laundering investigation in late 2019. All right, so we're talking late last year. That's according to documents now, documents that Fox News has. And then those documents were verified by multiple federal law enforcement officials who reviewed them. It is unclear at this point whether the investigation is still ongoing or if it was directly related to Hunter Biden. So was it something that was looked at because of something else that happened or did they go out and get uh, uh, this uh, uh, laptop and hard drive because, you know, they were trying to get the goods on on Hunter Biden? And, And is that investigation ongoing? Many times it's it's near impossible to get information from uh, the FBI about an ongoing investigation, although you can typically get something from them saying that it is a, quote, ongoing investigation. So I'm waiting to see if uh, Director Ray uh, comes up with, uh, you know, with that. Multiple federal law enforcement officials, as well as two separate government officials, confirmed the authenticity of the documents, which were signed by FBI Special Agent Joshua Wilson. Wilson has not immediately responded to Fox News' request for comment. One of the documents obtained by Fox News was designed as an FBI, quote, receipt for property form, which details the Bureau's interactions with John Paul Mac Isaac. Now, you know him as the owner of the Mac shop. He's the one who reported the laptop's contents to uh, authorities. The document has a case ID section, which is filled in with a handwritten number, which is uh, 272D-BA-3065729. According to multiple officials and the FBI's website, 272 is the Bureau's classification for money laundering, while 272D refers to, quote, money laundering, unknown, specified, unlawful activity, white-collar crime program, unquote, that according to FBI documents. One document of government officials described 272D as transnational or blanket. BA indicates the case was opened in the FBI's Baltimore field office, sources are saying. The documents state that the subpoena was carried out in Wilmington, Delaware, which falls under the jurisdiction of the FBI's Baltimore field office. The FBI cannot open a case without prediction, so they believe there was a, a prediction for criminal activity, a, a government official told Fox News. This means there was sufficient evidence to believe that there was criminal conduct. Another document obtained by Fox News was a subpoena sent to Isaac to testify before U.S. District Court in Delaware, December 9, 2019. 
One page of the subpoena shows that appear, what appears to be serial numbers for a laptop and hard drive taken into possession. Based on the uh, date of the subpoena, an official told Fox News that the case would have been open prior to Isaac's subpoena. Quote, if a criminal case was opened and subpoenas were issued, that means there is a high likelihood that both the laptop and hard drive contains fruits of criminal activity. Fox News first reported Tuesday that the FBI is in possession of the laptop in question. The Biden campaign yesterday pushed back on the claims leveled against Hunter Biden, particularly those first reported by the New York Post last week. The New York Post revealed that Rudy Giuliani uh, provided them. And uh, you go into this and Biden's campaign said, well, it came from Rudy Giuliani. No, the FBI is involved in this as well. So um, a lot more still to come out about this. Biden campaign has not denied the authenticity of those emails. All right. want to remind you once again that uh, Christmas is that not that far away now. All right. We're going to be in November here in another week. And that means that uh, Christmas is just like a month and a half away. So if you're looking for a piece of jewelry that is unique, that is handmade by an artisan jeweler by the name of, uh, of course, uh, my buddy over there at Hillcrest uh, Designer Jewelry, then you need to get over and talk to him now and uh, let him do the work for you. So get over and get things uh, set up because you got to start from the very beginning about who's the jewelry for. Eric's going to ask you, tell me about the person, things of that nature, so that their personality uh, will uh, shine through whatever the piece of jewelry it is that you're going to commission him to do. He's located over at 3000 Cavanaugh. Uh, here in Little Rock, and you can call him and make an appointment if you'd like to at 501-246-3655. That's 501-246-3655. I've used uh, Eric, a lot of my friends and and, uh, my former listeners and uh, listeners still today have used Eric in the past, and I've never heard a bad word spoken about him. Not only will you get a unique piece of jewelry, uh, an artisan doing that piece of jewelry, you will save yourself a lot of money because he's a gemologist, he's got a lot of gems on hand, and he can make your dream about that piece of jewelry come true without breaking your budget. That's Hillcrest Designer Jewelry. Eric Coleman is the jeweler. Uh, Again, they're at 3000 Cavanaugh Boulevard in Little Rock. Phone number 501-246-3655. Let me get back to that story that I was dealing with uh, on Fox News. And what did uh, the Biden campaign have to say about this money laundering bit? Richard Sauber, who's an attorney connected to the Biden campaign, said in a statement sent to Fox News, quote, criminal investigations of Russian disinformation campaigns. Okay, let's stop right there. All right. They're trying to throw shade on this uh, report by saying that it is a Russian disinformation campaign. 
Uh, earlier this week, the DNI came out uh, and uh, and said there is no uh, information out there saying that the Russians uh, were involved in Biden's uh, computer in any way, shape, or form. This was just a, a dunderheaded move by somebody who uses crack. And uh, he took his computer in to get it fixed at this computer shop, the Mac shop, and then left it there and didn't come back and get it. And, uh, of course, uh, the owner uh, looked at it and found a few of those uh, uh, emails and immediately contacted uh, legal people. So anyway... Totally, totally forget about the Russian disinformation. It did not happen. But let's go on, because what they're trying to do is uh, they're doing the old uh, uh, routine. If you're a a magician, Uh, you're doing something with your right hand, but you're shaking your left hand over here to get your attention to the left hand. So you don't see what they're doing with the right hand. So. They said criminal investigations of Russian disinformation campaigns that include the witting participation of American citizens like Rudy Giuliani. See, this is not about Hunter Biden, according to the lawyer. It's about Rudy Giuliani. He's uh, he's being used by the Russians. Often involved investigation by the FBI of whether the American has received payment for these activities that would implicate the federal money laundering statutes. So it's it's not about Hunter. It's not about all of these emails. It's not about emails that say $10 million coming to him uh, and uh, to be shared with the big guy, the big guy being uh, Joe Biden. Uh, no, it's about Rudy Giuliani. See, they, they're, they're smoking mirrors here for you. The director of national intelligence, John Radcliffe, confirmed this week that the laptop belonging to Hunter Biden and the emails on it, quote, is not part of some Russian disinformation campaign, despite claims from House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff. After all the lies that Adam Schiff said and has told, if you believe anything he he says, man, I've got a few things in my garage I want to sell that I, I will tell you that they are over 100 years old and they are, uh, you know, antiques. They're not, but if you'll believe what, they, what Adam Schiff will believe, then you're pretty gullible. Uh, the FBI, in a letter to Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Chairman Ron Johnson, who's investigating Hunter Biden's business dealings as well as the laptop in question, said that the Bureau has, quote, nothing to add at this time to the October 19th public statement by the Director of National Intelligence about the available actionable intelligence. If actionable intelligence is developed, the FBI, in consultation with the intelligence community, will evaluate the need to provide defensive uh, defensive briefings to you and the committee pursuant to the established notification framework. The FBI, in its letter to Johnson, wrote that Consistent with longstanding Department of Justice Department policy and practice, the FBI, and I told you this earlier, can neither uh, confirm nor deny the existence of any ongoing investigation 
or persons or entities under investigation, including uh, two members of Congress. As the Inspector General firmly reminded the Department and the FBI in recent years, this policy is designed to preserve the integrity of all Justice Department investigations and the Department's ability to effectively administer justice without political or other undue outside circumstances. Therefore, the FBI cannot provide any additional information in response to the enumerated questions in your letter. So the emails in question, the story goes on, were first obtained by the New York Post and in part revealed that Hunter Biden allegedly introduced his father, the then vice president, to a top executive at the Ukrainian natural gas firm Burisma Holdings less than a year before he pressured government officials in the Ukraine to fire the prosecutor who was investigating the company's founder. Uh, The New York Post report revealed that Biden, at Hunter's request, allegedly met with the executive in April of 2015. The meeting was mentioned in an email of appreciation, according to uh, the Post. Now, since that has happened, Twitter has taken away the Twitter account to the New York Post. It still has not, and that was several weeks ago. Uh, The uh, New York Post has still not gotten... Uh, their Twitter account back yet. So uh, the folks at Twitter continue to throw shade at the post so that they can't get out any new information dealing with the Hunter Biden story. And uh, the Facebook has uh, done the same thing. The news media, national news media, has done the same thing. In fact, CNN just yesterday refused to go to an FBI uh, news conference. Because I'm sure they didn't want to be there because somebody might bring up a question about this whole story that's out there and just percolating. And it's going to explode, folks. It's going to explode. The Biden campaign right now is trying to do damage control to keep it from exploding before next, uh, what, uh, the, the third Uh, November 3rd, a week from Tuesday. So um, I'm just telling you, they're doing their best so you you won't know before the election. They don't want want you to know. I will be surprised if they can keep a lid on it that long. All right, 746, time for a break. 14 minutes till 8 o'clock. Got 14 minutes to get to work if you got to be there by 8. So uh, I just wanted to let you know that. Uh, so if you got to go a little faster, you can. If you don't, you can let up off the gas. You're good. All right, so Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, we're sitting about eight minutes away from uh, 8 o'clock. Don't forget, it's 6 o'clock tonight. First segment of the show, Senator Tom Cotton will be my special guest. been a while since the senator's been on. Uh, we'll talk about the election upcoming We'll talk about Barrett and her confirmation upcoming. Uh, We'll talk about Hunter Biden, I'm sure. That's just three of the topics that I'm sure that we'll broach. And I want to talk to him a little bit about China as well. So should be an interesting conversation. You won't want to miss it. So on your way home tonight, tune in 101.1 FM. I'm sure that you keep it here because you get to listen to Rush. Then you get to listen to Hannity and Sekolo and then my show. 
uh, here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. Uh, the Supreme Court, in a 5-3 vote yesterday, uh, and it happened last night, overturned an Alabama judge's district court ruling that allowed counties to offer curbside voting. Now, I've heard of drive through you know, uh, restaurants, but, you know, curbside voting, uh, you know, curbside pickup. I did that last night with uh, Mario's Pizza. I ordered my pizza, showed up, hit I'm here. They brought my pizza out to me uh, but because uh, they don't really want you to come into the into their uh, their business. And uh, so I, you know, I, no problem with that. You want to carry it out to me, then no problem with you. But I've not heard about curbside voting. The court gave no explanation for their decision, which the New York Times reported is typical of an emergency application. Alabama Secretary of State John Merrill, a Republican, was challenged after he decided to, bur- to ban curbside voting over security concerns, even in the case of disabled voters or those more vulnerable to the uh, coronavirus. If those vulnerable voters wish to vote in person, Justice Sonia uh, Sotomayor wrote in the dissenting opinion, they must wait inside for as long as it takes in a crowd of fellow voters whom Alabama does not require to wear face coverings. Wait. Stop, Justice. Not true. If they didn't want to go in and vote in person, they could ask for an absentee ballot. So, uh little half-truth there from Sona uh, Sotomayor. Uh, Sotomayor quoted a black plaintiff in his 70s with asthma and Parkinson's who said while he was willing to die for the right to vote as some of his ancestors had, quote, I think we're past that. We're past that time. But if you want to vote, you can do it, and you can do it traditionally, without asking for a new form of voting to happen, which is curbside voting. Never happened before in Alabama. Uh, Judge Callan of the Federal District Court in Birmingham last month ruled in favor of voters represented by the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund who challenged the state's decision as unconstitutional. Quote, the plaintiffs have shown that the curbside voting ban imposes a significant burden on vulnerable voters during the COVID-19 pandemic. After the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals upheld Cannon's ruling, the state appealed to the Supreme Court, quote, how will local election officials who wish to experiment with curbside voting ensure that it is done in a manner that preserves ballot secrecy, Merrill wrote, How will they acquire the extra equipment necessary to implement curbside uh, voting? How will they deal with traffic? How many additional poll workers will be required? So all of those were questions that was used. So here's the bottom line. The Supreme Court said evidently they couldn't. And so no curbside voting uh, is to be allowed in, in Alabama. That's not uh, that's just not going uh, to happen. Um, Trump, Brett, uh, Brett Favre uh, talked about sports and politics uh, the other day. I mean, Herschel Walker has been out there talking a lot about them. Uh, of course, if you're a fan of the NBA, 
Uh, if you're an NFL fan, you'd like probably to have your sports free of politics like I would. Uh, even President Trump said uh, Wednesday, yesterday, in response to a question from former NFL quarterback Brett Favre, the former Green Bay Packers star's pre-recorded question for the president on how leagues should address racial injustice without alienating viewers came during a presidential town hall with conservative Sinclair Broadcasting. Favre said both the NBA and NFL were both struggling with lower TV ratings as uh, players have been allowed to make political statements on their jerseys, helmets, and footwear, and by kneeling for the national anthem or staying in the locker room in the wake of protests that have swept the country. The president agreed that outside issues were becoming a distraction from fans' enjoyment of on-field action. Quote, people don't want to see all of the politics, Trump told host Eric Bowling. They've got enough politics with me and with everybody else, and they don't want to see it with football or sports on Sunday or whenever they happen to be watching. I think it's had a huge impact on sports, a huge negative impact on sports, and I think that football ought to get back to football and basketball, to basketball, and let politics remain separate. He said players who are making millions of dollars a year shouldn't be allowed to protest on the sidelines. Quote, they want to have these players stand and salute or put their hand over their heart or at least stand for the national anthem and salute, he said. They want to respect the American flag. They want respect for our country. They want respect for the American flag. Now, the NFL changed its position on player protests in the years since former San Francisco 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick began kneeling for the national anthem to raise awareness about racially motivated police brutality. Kaepernick and the 49ers parted away in 2017, and he has remained an unsigned free agent ever since. And then Trump has been an outspoken critic of athletes protesting since the beginning of his presidency and touted himself as the law and order candidate. All right, so that uh, wraps it up. Uh, here for the live segments of the Dave Ellswick Show. Don't forget to be with me at 6 o'clock when Senator Tom Cotton joins me and Harding University stops by to talk about their new program. That's coming up at 6. Until then, have a great day. I'm Dave Ellswick. Talk here. get into it here on the Dave Ellswick Show, and a very special guest joins us for about the next 20 minutes. We're going to talk to our senator, 
uh, junior senator, Senator Tom Cotton. It's been a while since uh, the senator has been on the show. Last time he was here, we were celebrating my 50th anniversary in broadcasting, and I still want to thank you. I didn't get to thank you personally for stopping by and and uh, and uh, congratulating me on that, Senator. But, uh, again, I appreciated that. Glad to do it. Uh, All right. Dave, uh, it was remarkable to me at the time that you had started broadcasting when you were two years old. You could barely speak. <laughs> yeah, I wish that were true. It is not. But uh, I, I wish that was true. Well, listen, I don't want to sit here and just and just, you know, chew the fat with you. I want to get into the serious issues that are facing the country. We've got some really big things to talk about. Let's start off about something that really is concerning me. You know, a free and independent, independent being the uh, operative word here, press, is very important in our country. And in, over the last four years, we have seen that virtually disappear uh, from America. And uh, we're seeing even worse things happening on social media with Twitter and with uh, Facebook uh, how do we rein this in so we get back to the way it's supposed to be, Senator? Yeah, Dave, what's been happening in the last few days is very troubling and chilling to anyone like you or your listeners who believes in God and believes in our Constitution and believes in retrograde ideas like sovereignty and borders uh, and law and order because these giant tech companies – um, have dropped any pretense of being neutral platforms and just become censors for the left in America. Um, uh-huh. You know, the New, York, the New York Post last week published an explosive story uh, about Hunter Biden's uh, business dealings in places like China, of all places. And Twitter censored it, wouldn't let people post the story, even locked down the New York Post's uh, account on Twitter. And, and Dave, this is not some anonymous Internet troll. I mean, the New York Times is one of the oldest newspapers in America. It traces its origins back to Alexander Hamilton. Yep. It's got the fourth largest circulation of any paper in America. Yet Twitter and some of these other tech giants are censoring it because it is a story that is negative for their precious presidential candidate. Um, now, these companies didn't become giant monopolies just on their own ingenuity. They have benefited from federal law passed back in the 1990s at the dawn of the Internet that gives them total immunity from anything they publish. Um, you don't have that as a talk radio host. No. The Democrat Gazette doesn't have that. Channel 4, 7, 11 don't have that. They have to be responsible in what they publish. And they're subject to lawsuits for libel or slander or defamation. These, co- these tech companies are not. It's time to change that. If they want to edit and curate and censor the content on their platforms, and they should be held to the same standard that any other media company would be held. So we have to repeal that immunity from all legal liability. And then second, Dave, you saw earlier this week the Department of Justice and our attorney general, along with other states' attorney generals, um, has filed a lawsuit against Google for violating antitrust laws. And if Google or Twitter or any of these other tech companies are violating their antitrust laws, they ought to face the consequences up to and including breaking them up. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I couldn't agree um, more forcefully with you. It, it worries me that the First and Second Amendments of the Constitution are uh, 
you know, on, under attack. Look, the Second Amendment's been under attack for quite a while, but the First Amendment is really uh, under attack heavily now from the left, and it's so disconcerting to me since I fought when I was a young person for uh, First Amendment rights uh, of speech and things that happened out, you know, in Berkeley. It, it just blows my mind. Yeah, and, that, and they think about it, too. The, these giant tech companies are willing to censor Republican conservative voices when there's a Republican president administration. What do you think they'll do if the Democrats have control of the White House? What do you think uh, they'll do if the Democrats have control of the Senate and the House as well? I mean, it will be open season on conservative viewpoints in America. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you wholeheartedly, Senator. So what can be done? I mean, uh, there's this uh, in the, the Communications Act, there's a section in it called 230. Do you see that being changed anytime soon? Yeah, yeah, Dave. So that's when I say that uh, these giant tech companies have immunity from uh, lawsuits. It's Section 230 that gives them that immunity. So I am a sponsor of legislation uh, that would modify that liability uh, protection. I think it may be time to consider just repealing it outright and just treating them as what they are, media companies that have to be responsible for the content they publish. Um, another person who chimed in on this debate recently was Justice Clarence Thomas. You know, he noted uh, recently in dissent, uh, in a dissent or a concurrence from a denial of a hearing of a case in the Supreme Court that the Supreme Court has never interpreted Section 230. The lower courts have. They've interpreted it in extremely broad and sweeping fashion, and it may be time for the Supreme Court to chime in as well. All right, so let's move from that. I mean, that's a big that's a big one that's out there for everybody to keep in mind. It's going to be dealt with, I, I really do believe, and that's why your vote counts so hugely this election. You want to make sure that the people who are – uh, making these decisions are people that are conservative and believe in the First Amendment and believe in the Constitution. So uh, Amy Coney Barrett is supposed to be uh, voted out of the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee today. Uh, Lindsey Graham, the chair of the Judiciary Committee, said that's going to be is going to happen, even if not even one Democrat decides to show up uh, for for the meeting. Uh, the Democrats trying to do their best to, you know, throw shade on this whole thing as they can. But the bottom line is they can do nothing to stop this, can they? No, they cannot. They, the bottom line is uh, Arkansans, like the rest of America, uh, saw Judge Barrett in her confirmation hearings uh-huh. last week. And they saw a woman who is a brilliant lawyer, a learned and knowledgeable judge, uh, who handled herself with grace and with poise, uh, and they were incredibly impressed. That is why uh, more than half of all Americans, to include almost two-thirds of independents, now believe that we should move forward properly to confirm Judge Barrett. Now, the Democrats haven't been able to win the debate on this issue, so they're using procedural gimmicks and tricks to try to highlight what they think is unfair, when in reality it's simply just following the constitutional processes. So as you say, uh, they're having the vote in the Judiciary Committee today, and the Judiciary Committee rules say that a quorum is half of the members plus uh, two members of the minority party. However, that very same rule allows a quorum to waive the requirement that you have two uh, members of the minority, because obviously the majority party, whoever is in the majority at any given time, can't allow the minority to hijack the ability to conduct business just by not showing up. 
So the Judiciary Committee is reporting out Judge Barrett today, uh, and then we'll move to debate on the Senate floor. Again, we're not going to cut any corners. We're not going to take any shortcuts. We're going to have a full and robust debate in the days ahead. And uh, Senator McConnell has said we will have the vote to confirm Judge Barrett on Monday. Yeah, that's going to be uh, amazing to see that happen. Uh, she's going to be a great addition to the Supreme Court, I believe. She really excites me with the things that, that she uh, says and, and the decorum that she showed during those, uh, those hearings. She did a fantastic job. She did do a great job. You can tell that she's been a law professor for the last <laughs> 20 years because she's very, she's very skilled at explaining the law to people who don't understand the law, like all those Democratic senators. Yeah, she schooled them, didn't she? She's she great, really yeah. did. Yeah, she was very, very good. All right, let's move. Let's move on. Uh, more people voting. Uh, they're talking about the great, huge turnout. But I had Seth Mays on this morning uh, with my on my show. I have Seth and I have J.R. Davis on every Thursday morning for an hour, and we talk politics together. And he made the statement, hey, look, in the last elect, uh, in the election in 2018, there was a huge turnout at the, the beginning. But by the time it was all said and done, uh, the turnout was just, uh, you know, basically a normal uh, turnout. So don't read too much into the tea leaves off of the numbers that you're seeing right out of the box. You, do you go yeah, along with that? Yeah, Dave, I, it is always... It's always a bit risky to try to read those tea leaves in the early vote, um, just because, as I've seen now going through multiple elections myself, um, is that a lot of people who would otherwise be voting are just voting earlier, um, as, as our Kansans have gotten more and more accustomed to early voting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, in 2016, about half of the vote was conducted before Election Day. Now, we have seen a massive massive turnout in these first two or three days in Arkansas. You know, I think almost a quarter of the people who voted in 2016 have already voted. I suspect, though, that given this very unusual year, you know, living under the risk of a, the worst pandemic in a century, is that you have, what you have is a lot of people trying to vote early to help minimize the risk of exposure of the virus for themselves and for poll workers and for their fellow citizens. And that's a good thing and it's responsible to do. Um, I would just encourage uh, all of your listeners to have a plan to vote and vote in a way that makes you most comfortable and which you feel the healthiest and safest, whether it's voting early or voting by absentee or voting on Election Day. Yeah, the only thing that worries me is these things that some states are trying to do at the last moment. The Supreme Court ruled last night that Alabama cannot do cannot do curbside voting uh they were trying to get that done in like the last uh month of of the campaign that's just crazy stuff i mean you if if you don't feel safe going to a polling place you can ask for an absentee ballot these all these people could do the exact same thing they didn't need curbside uh uh, voting and i'm glad that the supreme court saw it that way as well yeah, David, and I really have to say it's very worrisome, especially in states where we expect to have very close elections in the presidential race in particular, uh, that you have some left-wing judges, whether they're in Supreme Court, as you have in Pennsylvania, where the state Supreme Court is a wholly-owned subsidiary of the Democratic Party, or some left-wing um, judges in the federal courts that, uh, by and large, fortunately, have been stopped by more sensible judges at the Courts of Appeals or the Supreme Court, trying to rewrite state election law. Look, if a state wants to have curbside voting, it can do so. 
if a state wants to allow ballots to come in after Election Day, as long as they're postmarked by Election Day, the state can do so. But those are choices for the elected officials of those states. The state legislature writes the election law. And simply because a state, say, wants all of uh, absentee ballots in by Election Day itself, it's not vote suppression. It's not a burden on voting. It's a very simple rule. I mean, in Arkansas, they have to be in by Election Day. People have known that for years and years and years. It's very clearly stated when you get an absentee ballot more than a month uh, out from the election. This is not a burden on the, elect- on the election. It's not something that judges ought to be doing. And in some states, like I said, uh, especially Pennsylvania, I am worried that in a close election, it could lead to a very contentious period of lawsuits uh, following the election day itself. Well, word is out that the Biden campaign is putting together a war chest for just that. Do you think this is going to be a, a repeat on a more massive scale of the election back in 2000? I hope not, Dave. Um, I hope not, because that recount in Florida was so contentious. Now, remember, that was only about a 537 vote margin, if I recall. Um, that's very, very small margin. Um, President Trump, the only one in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, by about 77,000 combined votes. That's only about 25,000 votes per state. I think if one of those, maybe Michigan, it was only about 12,000, which is very small in the number of votes cast, but it's pretty sizable when you talk about having a recount or talk about having lawsuits afterwards. So you do have to have a really closely divided election uh, for it to go to the courts. Um, I, I hope that's not the case. I hope President Trump wins handily. And there's not uh, lawsuits and months or at least weeks of litigation. But the way to prevent that from happening is to have clear and settled rules before Election Day itself and not have liberal judges trying to rewrite the election laws as they wish they had been written days before the election. Someone said that the debate tonight, and I think it was uh, Seth and Jr. made this statement, that the, the debate tonight, it was important for the president to win it for the down-ballot races, the close races for Republicans in different states like, you know, Arizona and things of that nature. Do you go along with that? Well, it's always the case, Dave, that uh, the fortunes, of candidates on the presidential nominee's party tend to rise and fall uh, with the nominee. Uh, so if Donald Trump knocks down the park tonight, I think that'll certainly be good for people like Joni Ernst um, or Susan Collins or David Perdue. Um, if Joe Biden, uh, you know, flails and fails and can't account for um, his and his son's business dealings with China, <laughs> then yeah, I think that could hurt people uh, like Gary Peters in Michigan. Um, or some of their candidates in places like Iowa and Arizona and Colorado. It's going to be interesting uh, for the simple reason that I I think that the Hunter Biden story is more important to the to the Beltway, although it's an important story. Don't get me wrong, but tonight that the president should not spend too much time specifically on that. I think he needs to spend more time on telling. Americans, what he's done for them and what he will continue to do for them. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, as I've traveled across Arkansas over the last couple months, uh, and as I've also traveled across the state working to reelect my fellow Republicans, you know, one sense that I definitely get, Dave, is that while Americans are troubled by 
not just Hunter Biden, but the entire Biden family cashing in on Joe Biden's public office. Um, at the end of the day, they care more about their own family than they care about the Biden family. Um, right. And there's a lot of very, very important issues um, that they would like to hear the president discuss, you know, whether it's Joe Biden's promise to raise your taxes or confiscate your guns or uh, continue to uh, castigate the police and allow criminals to roam free out of prison or to cut our defense budget. Uh, most families would rather hear uh, the president talk about those issues more. All right. We're out of time. I know you got other things coming up. Uh, I appreciate your time for my listeners today here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Senator, keep doing the great work you've been doing. You've been an outspoken critic of China. Please keep doing that. Thank you, Dave. It's always good to be on with you. All right, we'll talk to you later, Senator Tom Cotton, here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, A few more words on my show here in just a moment, but first, let's get this break. Final segment for this half hour, Dave Ellswick Show. My thanks uh, to Junior Senator Tom Cotton for joining us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. You know, the Junior Senator has been at the tip of the spear dealing with China. Uh, He was the first one to say that the COVID-19 virus probably came out of a uh, lab in China, uh, that the Chinese had lied to us. Uh, He has also been an outspoken critic of the amount of money that the uh, CCP, that's the uh, uh, Communist Party of, uh, of China, the Chinese Communist Party, so you get CCP out of that, uh, has been giving to universities in America so that they can spew their propaganda on our uh, our campuses. And he's to be commend- commended for that and for a lot of other things that he's been doing uh, while being a senator uh, in uh, the U.S. Senate. With that said, uh, a question came across my Facebook uh, saying, uh, would I create a post and pin it to the top on how we should uh, be voting on the three issues? Look, I don't like to tell you how to vote. I'll tell you how I'm going to vote on the three issues that are out there. Number one, dealing about the uh, half-cent sales tax uh, for the Constitution to be given for roads. I'm voting against it. I don't believe that you add a tax to the uh, to the uh, the Constitution in uh, any way, shape, or form. We've already done that in the past one time. Let's not make that mistake a second time. Secondly, talking about term limits, I'll vote against it as well. And lastly, how do I feel about uh, you know going out and getting signatures and things of that nature, uh, dealing uh, with uh, our whole. Uh, situation with putting something on the ballot uh, for uh, uh, the electorate to decide to make changes to the Constitution. Look, the Constitution of the state of Arkansas should not be, uh, you know, changed at the whim of people with money. And that's what's happened over the last, uh, you know, 15 years. I would say, and would have happened this time if the Supreme Court hadn't struck down a couple of the uh, issues uh, because they didn't follow the rules of it, because it was out-of-state money uh, that was pushing uh, these changes to our Constitution. I don't like that. Uh, There's other ways of doing it. That's why we got a legislature. Let's work through them. I will vote no 
no on all three issues because there's other things about issue three I I don't like uh, as well. Uh, I don't like that they put the onus on the citizens and not that on the uh, the elected officials. I think the elected officials should not be able to change the Constitution that, that as easy as they can do it as well. Uh, and uh, unless they ch- decide to change that, I can't vote for, uh, for issue number three. They're the ones that want it. Uh, then change it for yourself as well. A break. Welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show, uh, 6 o'clock edition of uh, the show, just bringing you up to date on news of the day. Uh, We just got done talking to the junior senator of Arkansas, Tom Cotton. Uh, If you didn't know, the Senate Judiciary Chair, Lindsey Graham, has opened the meeting to vote on the uh, Supreme Court of the United States nominee, Amy Coney Barrett, today. And uh, here's what he said. He says, as you know, our Democratic colleagues informed the committee last night they will not participate in the hearing. And that's their choice. It will be my choice to vote the nominee out of committee. And that's exactly what they did. The Judiciary Committee favorably reports out Amy Coney Barrett's nomination to the Supreme Court. Twelve votes uh, yes, ten not voting. And uh, reported to the floor, 12 votes in favor, zero votes against. Uh, Amy Coney Barrett to be an Associate Justice of the United States Supreme Court. The Judiciary Committee favorably reported her out. Next stop, the Senate floor. And then I want to remind everybody who thinks that this has been some contentious hearing or whatever, the ranking Democrat uh, of the committee uh, is Diane Feinstein. Now, she's taken a lot of heat because, uh, you know, she showed uh, collegiality with her other members of, of the uh, committee from the Republican side. But she made the statement uh, last week, and uh, that was this, quote, this has been one of the best set of hearings that I've participated in. Now, she was going to vote against Barrett. But she said it was the best set of hearings she's ever done. So uh, that's on its way to the Supreme Court, just so that uh, uh, you know. Senate Judiciary Chairman Lizzie Graham praised Barrett's uh, qualifications and glowing endorsements for colleagues, peers, and the American Bar Association. Senator Graham pointed out that Senate Democrats allowed Barrett's swift confirmation to be possible by changing the Senate threshold rules in 2013. Quote, back then I told Senator Schumer that they would regret changing the rules on judges. Today they will, he said. As Democrats boycotted the committee duties, uh, Senator Graham also held unanimous votes on federal judicial nominations before the committee which will now head to the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. Leader McConnell teed up the full vote on Judge Barrett for Monday in what is expected to be an easy uh, confirmation. Uh, Story out of uh, Town Hall, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell officially teed up the Senate's full vote 
Following the Senate Judiciary Committee's vote today, after the committee's approval, the full chamber will vote on Judge Barrett on Monday, October 26th, following a procedural vote on Sunday. Uh, and uh, so that confirmation is going to happen and happen quickly. Leader McConnell went to bat for Judge Barrett on the Senate floor after her week-long appearance before the Senate Judiciary Committee last week, saying that Judge, and this is a quote from uh, McConnell, Judge Amy uh, Coney Barrett demonstrated that she has the deep legal expertise, dispassionate judicial temperament, and sheer intellectual horsepower that the American people deserve to have on the Supreme Court. I hope you got to hear uh, Senator Tom Cotton, because Tom Cotton said what really showed during her confirmation uh, hearings in front of the Judiciary Committee is that she had been 20 years as a professor at Notre Dame because she schooled the Democrats on law. And she did. I mean, she schooled, I thought, in a in a very respectful way, but in a straight way, uh, you know, ranking member uh, Democrat Dianne Feinstein. Uh, they got into a, a back and forth, and, you know, Barrett said, I understand what you're saying, but, you know, basically said she said, you're wrong. She didn't say it that way. That's the way I would say it, so I'd always get in trouble. Uh, it, she put it as far as uh, as as that goes. All right, let's take a quick break, and then uh, let's get to uh, our guest uh, who's going to join with us from Harding, and we'll do that next on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, final segment of the Dave Ellswick Show. Dr. Todd Patton's going to join us. He's the chair of the Department of Mental Health and Wellness at Harding University, a professor of counselor education and uh, brand new program again at Harding we've been talking about they have really upped their game when it comes to graduate programs at Harding University I'm going to tell you uh, they're as good as any school out on the east coast let's let's talk about uh, what you all are going to do now as far as mental health and wellness uh, Dr. Patton bring us up to date yeah well I, I appreciate the opportunity to be here uh, I just want to tell you first kind of what we have already. Um, we have a number of different programs, and uh, in this uh, this time, during this time of our our country and, and the time of the world, we think it's important to to constantly be looking at our offerings. But um, we have a master's in clinical mental health counseling. Okay. Uh, 68-hour program, that's going to lead to a licensure for, for people uh, to become licensed as a licensed professional counselor um, in the state of Arkansas and other states. Um, we also have a marriage and family counseling therapy program that will lead to a license in marriage and family therapy. Um, we have a professional school counseling license. Um, again, that'll lead to licensure and school counseling. And uh, what we see right now in schools is schools are are beginning to they they usually do, but they're taking uh, they're they're kind of giving more attention here lately to the mental health uh, of uh, of our kids, seeing that as important. And we've added a a student affairs masters, and um, 
it has some counseling and some business and some leadership type classes. And so um, that degree is focused towards um, people that are going to be working with college students in, uh, in colleges, universities, and community colleges and things like that. Well, One well, in, Go ahead. Yeah, go go ahead. ahead. No, no, no. You go ahead and finish up what you were going to say. <clears throat> well, we, I was just going to say we also have a graduate certificate program. It has 18 hours in it, and we're we're kind of proud of this. It uh, it is targeted to people that um, they're not going to be counselors, but they want some additional skills in counseling and psychotherapy. And uh, so, preachers, ministers, lay leaders, uh, or anyone that might be interested in getting additional skills in counseling, but may not be a counselor. Um, but but could use some of those basic skills in their in their ministry or in their occupation. So that's kind of what we have running globally right now at the graduate level, at least in mental health and wellness. We have many many other graduate programs. Okay, well let me roll back to the master's sure. in mental health counseling that leads yeah. to attaining the required coursework and experience uh, to be a licensed uh, professional counselor. With COVID-19, with mm-hmm. what we've gone through this year, is do you believe there is a call for more people to maybe hang a shingle out uh, as a you know, mental health counselor licensed by you know, having the coursework that necessary to work with people? Yes. You know, we're seeing an increase in uh, anxiety, increase in stress. Um, uh, an increase in depression to some extent due to the isolation that some are feeling. Uh, stress, of course, due to uh, um, maybe teaching kids and working at home and uh, just also the overall anxiety um, about not knowing uh, the future or knowing where to exactly get the truth from and uh, so we do see that. It, 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 what also makes it difficult, though, is there's some rules now with uh, with COVID or some practices that a lot of people don't want to see someone face to face. Right. So so now we're we are also teaching and uh, required now to teach uh, how to do telemedicine or tech assisted psychotherapy in a way that is. Um, uh, beneficial to to clients, and so uh, you know we're updating that and updating our curriculum, and um, uh, that that part that is going to lead to to helping more people uh, being able to do telemedicine. Yeah, let, let's talk about that real quick. I did first time yesterday was the first day that I've ever done telemedicine, and I did it with my urologist of all people. And mm-hmm. we couldn't get the uh, uh, the cameras to work, so we just did it by talking over the phone. Uh, mm-hmm. It would seem to me when you get into a situation like this that that whole thing of being able to look at the person is uh, just as important as what the person says. Body language plays a, a major part in what a counselor sees, does it not? Yes. And, you know, we, we, we want to make sure that we can see that, that client. However, there's times that 
it may be where we're doing a check-in where we might not. I guess the most important thing is to make sure we are talking to the person who we're supposed to be talking to because all this mm-hmm. needs to be confidential um, and uh, and compliant. And uh, But, yeah, we, we talk about these very things. There are some pros and cons to telemedicine. One of them you mentioned is body language. Um, on the other hand, we are seeing the face a little bit uh, closer sometimes than we would in real life. Uh-huh. And, um, and there are some benefits uh, 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 to it as well, All right. especially in some meetings. But, yeah. All right. Now, something that you have uh, at Harding uh, that some universities do not is that uh, your professional counseling programs are CACREP. I guess that's CATREP. Uh, accredited. KCREP, yes. Okay, KCREP, uh, accredited. Why is that so important? What is it exactly, and then why is it important? It's our accrediting body. It's a national accrediting body, actually international. It unifies our profession, um, but it sets high standards of practice. And when a student or when someone's shopping for programs, they know that um, this is going to be uh, a quality program. The it, it ensures to the students, the profession, the public, um, that it's a, a high-level program. Also, I would say that uh, a lot of the state guidelines for licensure require, if not your program be KCREP accredited, it be written to KCREP accreditation. In addition, there are some insurance companies, um, government agencies, that will not reimburse uh, providers or, or clients or, um, unless their provider had come from a KCREP accredited program. Okay. Um, it also helps with those of us that are getting our license, that have a license to move, excuse me, to move across states. All right. That, um, makes, that makes sense then to give mm-hmm. you got some kind of consistency uh, if you go to Oklahoma, you know, you move to Oklahoma mm-hmm. and you go to a therapist there, uh, they're going to have uh, the same kind of, uh, of uh, teaching that the person from Harding had. Right. I mean, you right. can't get exactly the great teaching you get at Harding unless you go to Harding, but the bottom line is uh, it's accredited by the same group. I'd like you to talk yeah. about something that's really important, and that is all the professors – are licensed professional counselors at Harding, and uh, they're professional school counselors. They've got a lot of experience, and all of them keep current in private practice. Talk about why that is really important. Well, it's important for us as educators, for one, uh, to be in the field and be able to bring that experience to our students. In fact, this is one of the things that our students um, con- continually remark about how they are thankful that um, we're able to to bring real life scenarios, answer real life questions, um, and bring that experience and those stories and in, into the classroom. And I I really think it aids in learning, and um, uh, but it keeps us all fresh and current. We have to do our continuing education to keep our license. Uh, we have experiences in the clinic, and then uh, that refreshes our curriculum on a on a regular basis. We yeah, bring I mean, all of that to our students. 
Yeah, because your 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 professors have small classes. That means there's going to be a lot of you know one on one type teaching, and it's important mm-hmm. that the teachers are are up to date and are current on practices. Correct. Correct. So when we when we bring up a topic or a theory or a technique, we don't just talk about it. We talk about it and then we explain how we just did it last week. And actually can put the students through the paces of at least getting somewhat of a feel for yeah. what what that practice is uh, involved. Something I also like is you got this certificate of counseling skills. I went to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary counseling. Mm-hmm. We had several classes that that we took. Uh, at seminary now they were not required classes uh, but I took the classes because I always felt like as, as a pastor you're going to end up with a lot of counseling sessions marital and things of that nature yeah. so I, I guess my question is uh, how how do these classes work in uh, consort with the classes that you took at seminary yeah um these these classes again just kind of like what you did they are to aid in your ministry they're going to help with you know premarital uh, crisis intervention those kinds of things however they also help the minister the layperson know okay i've got to i've got to, to now now i know i need to refer this is where i need to refer to a licensed professional counselor. Uh-huh. It enhances your work, but it also lets you know, kind of help you define uh, what your work is and when you need to refer on. Well, the bottom line is, is if somebody comes to you, there's things that you can tell them if they're sharing with you that they have addictive tendencies, but you might not be able to help them. That's mm-hmm. where a professional comes in. Yeah, yeah. And so that's something that we'd be talking about in those classes. Okay, very good. Very good indeed. I mean, that's just something that, uh, you know, sometimes pastors forget that they don't know everything. (laughs) And that that can be a problem. And, uh, uh, and, And then on top of that, and it's something that you reiterate in your classes, that uh, that you all teach from a biblical perspective and that it, you're science-based, but you're also Christ-centered. And that's really mm-hmm. Im- important. A pastor, I think, has got the Christ-centeredness going and going yeah. well, but does he have the science necessary to make, you know, those really, really serious calls that you might have to make? Right. Correct. Yes. Yeah, I like that. All right. Well, and if anybody's interested in our programs, they can yeah. go to harding.edu/mhw. MHW stands for Mental Health and Wellness. So harding.edu/mental health and wellness. All right, Dr. Todd Patton, our guest, uh, harding.edu. The letters edu mm-hmm. slash forward slash or backward slash. Pardon me, M H. W. 
Dr. Patton, thanks so much for being with us. He's the chairman of the Department of Mental Health and Wellness, professor of counselor education at Harding University. You all keep up the good work that you're doing at Harding. And, uh, Doc, sounds like that you guys are doing great work uh, as far as mental health and wellness at Harding University as well. I might want to look into taking some of these classes. Appreciate your time. Yes, thank you. Appreciate it. All right. We'll let you go. Thank you very much. All right. We're down to just a couple of moments here uh, left in the 6 o'clock hour. And and that was really good. Let me give you that address again. It's harding.edu and slash MHW. If you're a pastor, uh, if you're a youth pastor, if you work uh, within uh, the confines of a church, uh, I would highly suggest that you take these uh, uh, classes they're offering for that certificate of counseling skills. There's a lot more than counts to counseling than uh, just going by your gut. I'm just telling you. All right. Time for me to get out of here. Back with you at 6 a.m. in the morning. It's a Friday edition, and uh, we'll have everything you expect from a Friday right here on the next Dave Ellswick Show. Have a great evening. <laughs>